0: I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome Ryan Haas to our broadcast. He is news editor for Oregon Public Broadcasting. Welcome, Ryan.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Ryan, what differentiates the activity these past days and weeks in Portland from the pandemic organizing and mobilization in cities like Chicago and New York, where there were periods of... Both protest and looting, uh, but it did not escalate over a subsequent period into now federal authorities being deployed rapidly to counteract what appear to be peaceful protesters. Why is how is Oregon and Portland different from these other major cities?
1: Um, you know, I think that's an interesting question. I think uh, in a lot of ways, Portland. Portland's protests have been very similar. You know, we've had continued protests over racial justice in the city for more than 50 days. Um, people were out demonstrating, holding speeches, marching, those types of things. Um, you know, I think the difference for Portland is that this is a city that has a strong protest culture and has been protesting uh, the Trump administration pretty much since day one. And you know, I think it's also sort of seen as this kind of liberal bastion that uh, right wing media likes to target and say is very uh, full of anarchists. And there's a lot of disorder here, despite that not necessarily being the case on the ground.
0: Got it. So who are the actors here? Who who are involved in the protests? And is it a direct offshoot from the racial justice movement in the wake of the police brutality and murders?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even call it an offshoot. I would say these are, were the same protests that were happening. Uh, you know, federal officers really started appearing here in early July, um, and some folks were kind of surprised that protests were still happening here. But, you know, these were the same racial justice protests. They, they were folks who had uh, significant concerns about how the Portland Police Bureau operates, um, how communities of color are policed here in uh, one of the whitest cities, one of the whitest major cities in America. And so these were the same protests that were happening. um, But now we have these federal officers here, and there's this entire other element that's sort of been added on top of that, where you have folks who may have um, participated in the early days of the racial justice protests and, and didn't realize they were maybe still happening in Portland. Uh, and now they see federal officers coming in, and they, they want to protest that in addition to the racist, racial justice element. So um, these protests have grown significantly. The, tell us about the Coalition of Moms. Were they there from the beginning? Uh no they weren't. Uh the really those those folks turned out uh after Oregon Public Broadcasting broke this story about federal officers grabbing grabbing people off the street and pulling them into unmarked vans not explaining where they're going or who's arresting them or even why they're being detained. Uh, after OPB broke that story, uh, we started to see a lot of people come out and this coalition of moms and now we have a coalition of dads who show up with leaf blowers every night to blow away tear gas. Um, You know, they're out there and kind of the statement they're making is like, we want to show these protests are peaceful and we're just going to stand here and get tear gassed and shot with less lethal munitions by federal officers to show the level of aggression that's taking place here. So, take us through what a
0: night has been, and how that, how those nights have evolved, and and then I want to get into the extrajudicial uh, monitoring of these protests and extrajudicial and dare I say illegal activity on the part of federal law enforcement who are actually breaking law. Um, So, how have the nights evolved from the beginning of the protest period? At what hour? Are the protesters being asked to cease and desist, in essence? And are they engaging any conduct that would ordinarily be considered out of bounds or illegal mm-hmm. in terms of trespassing on buildings that are shut down or graffiti or other things mm-hmm. that would be criminal, criminally penalized? Uh, how, how can you take us through kind of how sure. the nights have evolved?
1: Sure. Yeah. So, you know, early on, these protests were gigantic. I There was one night in the first week or so of these protests when we had, you know, more than 10,000 people marching. So you're talking about, you know, miles of downtown that were shut off by gigantic marches of folks coming out. Um, and there were, there were lots of speeches and, and folks just, you know, wanting to express their outrage at uh, police killings of Black Americans. Um, you know, over time, obviously, energy kind of dwindles. Folks get tired from going out every single night during, during the protests, and the numbers of the crowds kind of dwindle down. Um, and the way these tend to play out overnight is, you know, folks will show up around, oh, I don't know, 8 p.m., somewhere in that window, and they'll often be dancing and food and speeches and, you know, just people out there uh, demonstrating. Um, typically, as the night goes on, uh, when the crowd gets small, or if some folks uh, perhaps start throwing objects at the at buildings or at uh, law enforcement, often those objects are water bottles or things that are you know, not really gonna hurt somebody, but are somewhat of a nuisance to federal law enforcement who are out there. Um, that's really kind of when you tend to see the evening turn. Uh, and that's, you know, somewhere between the window of 11 p.m. and midnight. Uh, we often see officers come out, either local police or federal police, and really start driving crowds away from uh, property uh, where people may have been you know, spraying with graffiti or maybe they're shining lasers at federal officers and that sort of thing. So that's really when things escalate. And then it just kind of plays out over the night. So you'll have this window from midnight to 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. where officers are kind of in these skirmishes, pushing protesters around downtown, telling them to leave, um, and then just continuing to barrage them with less lethal munitions until, until it ultimately breaks up. From the DOJ,
0: this is called Operation Legend. Mm -hmm. Um, What is their ostensible pretext, judicial or legal pretext, for the activity that they're taking? Are they saying these folks are disrupting the peace? And if so, explicitly, what are they accusing them of doing, these protesters? Past, let's say, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, when you say it starts to get violent.
1: Um, so the stated mission from the federal officers here in Portland, anyway, is that their job is to protect the federal courthouse and other federal properties that are downtown in Portland. Um,
0: and and if, just to say, are they, are they operating? Are the protesters operating on those grounds? Or is that where they start? Uh,
1: so no, oftentimes they're in a park that's directly across the street from uh, the federal courthouse. Now, you will often see protesters go up to uh, either a fence that's been erected around the around the courthouse or when the fence is not there or perhaps if protesters have torn it down they, they will go up to the courthouse itself um, and, and you know knock on windows or hit things or spray paint um, and so federal officers say they're there to protect that property now Before this kind of became a national story, we would often see uh, federal officers pushing protesters blocks and blocks and blocks away from any federal property, uh, well outside the jurisdiction that they claim that they're trying to defend. Um, We've also seen arrests take place not on federal property. Um, So there is some question about whether uh, these officers are within their jurisdiction when they're conducting these operations. So, what I hear you saying is that the the
0: primary accusation is um, a disrupting activity on or around federal grounds and um, p- potentially the defacement of those of those properties um, now, what you reported exclusively was that um there was little to no transparency in terms of who was being kidnapped, essentially, who who was being removed from the grounds. They were not wearing name identification badges. They were not dressed in uniform. Mm -hmm. And as we record this to date, that continues to be the case,
1: Ryan? Yeah, I mean, these officers continue to come out in camouflage uniforms that just simply say police on them. You know, Customs and Border Protection Chief Mark Morgan was uh, speaking the other day, and he said, well, these officers do have patches, and he pointed out, uh, you know, these tiny, tiny little patches that are also camouflaged and sort of just blend into the uniform. Um, And, you know, I I think at night and in a situation that's very chaotic, it's very, unrealistic to say that's an adequate identification of an officer. Um, these officers also don't have identifying numbers or names on their uniforms. Uh, you know, the, the federal government has said they're afraid of officers being doxxed or their names getting out there. But, you know, there are constitutional questions about a person's right to know who's detaining them and why they're being detained. It's also, frankly, very dangerous. You know, Portland is a city where right-wing extremists and militia groups frequently come to uh, interact with left-wing protesters and so to have people in unmarked vehicles dressed in sort of generic military style gear uh, is very concerning because you know someone could easily impersonate those officers. Someone could impersonate the officers Um,
0: and and, you know these tactics are not tactics that are employed in police departments, um, in, in uh, preserving domestic tranquility, except under extraordinary circumstances, perhaps, of uh, a terrorist attack um, or, you know, conditions that um, we, we haven't seen in this country, uh, invasion. And, and the, the, the test politically is, how resilient is our democracy and our federalist system so that the mayor of Portland and the governor of Oregon respectfully and respectively can um, preserve law and order according to to their standard of what law and order ought to look like and not Bill Barr's standard of what law and order ought to look like. So what is the judicial or legal means to try to end the federal presence, uh, and are the mayor and governor taking actions to try to do that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a very important question here. You know, we've already seen some uh, legal action, actually quite a bit of legal action. There's a number of lawsuits that have already been filed uh, in federal court here. Um, those are pertaining to a, a pretty wide array of uh, rights. You know, there are First Amendment lawsuits over people's rights to demonstrate. There's uh, Fourth Amendment lawsuits over unlawful search and seizure. We've also seen uh, a lawsuit around the Tenth Amendment uh, focused on the division of federal and state authority. Um, so those those actions are currently within the court. And, and I think that is the primary approach that a lot of political and uh, advocacy groups are taking to kind of this down and drive federal officers out of the city. Uh, The governor and the mayor and federal lawmakers from Oregon have all called on uh, the Department of Homeland Security to pull their officers out of here saying this is only escalating this situation. And they're right, frankly, you know, protests were kind of on the decline here before federal officers showed up, you know, maybe 100 people would turn out at a night. And now we're seeing Thousands upon thousands of people coming out and saying, "We do not want this type of policing in an American city." And how successful do you think that recourse will be? Uh, you know, I think that's an open question. I, I don't know if the Trump administration is very open uh, to changing course. I don't think they're accomplishing the mission that they they set out to accomplish, um, and I think that this is only going to continue until something shifts there. But from what I have seen, both the Department of Homeland Security and Customs and Border Protection, which is one of the main agencies operating here, they have not given any indication that they plan on backing down. And they've even sort of doubled down and said, we're going to continue to do this until Portland protests stop, which I think is unlikely.
0: And popular support for this smaller cohort is on the rise, stable, or declining in response to the national coverage of this story?
1: Mm. I think it's. I think it's on the rise. Honestly, I mean, at least I can only speak for being in Oregon, but I think folks um, were definitely taken aback at the reporting we did and at the reporting many other uh, media outlets have done since, and just the level of federal aggression that's taking place here. Um, You know it ultimately comes down to a person person's perspective on these protests you know i've seen some people say like well protesters are throwing stuff or they're spraying graffiti that's illegal and therefore they're subject to this but by the same token i've seen many other people say you know is throwing a water bottle at an officer dressed in full riot gear uh opening you to a response of military tactics being used upon an entire crowd of people. And, and many people are saying, no, that's not an adequate response.
0: Portland also is the birthplace of an anti-fascist, anti-authoritarian movement. It's not the only birthplace, but it's one that is particular, particularly perceptive to the militarization of the police force, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, the Portland police have a long history of being very aggressive with protesters here. And I think that has only created over many, many decades even created a strong protest culture here and folks who are very concerned with uh, strong armed police tactics. And so you know, I was reading a piece in The Guardian this morning and, and one of the folks quoted and it said, you know, the Trump administration came into Portland hoping for an easy win. And, it, you know, it has maybe stepped in more than they bargained for just because Portland's culture is really, really against this type of authority. And I don't I don't foresee them uh, backing off.
0: It does take two to tango in the sense of incitement and the fact that the Black Lives Matter movement in response to the Floyd murder has tangibly pronounced itself and its objectives. And now this is more about an objective within the response to the protest than an objective for the Portland Police Department uh, or the militarization of police broadly. And in that respect, the kind of taunting nature and incitement of this is still the reality. Um, and, I, and I'm wondering to what extent within the movement of the protests now, there's any effort to try to legitimize the political goals in, in verse, in, in writing, in a way that would... Um, would reduce the appearance that this is just about skirmishing and sort of escalating the skirmishes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think the protest movement, and I totally understand Like from a national perspective, it's kind of hard to, to know what's going on. I, I do think the protesters here uh, continue to push for uh, particular reform. Changes and reforms within the Portland Police Bureau you know and there's obviously differences of opinion among different demonstrators, um, but you know they 've continued to push for things like removing funding from police officers to uh, reinvest in community uh, they want more mental health services and less police interaction with people who are experiencing homelessness in the city. Um, you know, and there's also a lot of political pressure on the mayor from, from these demonstrators. Um, you know, we are in an election year here and the mayor is due for, uh, being on the ballot. And so some folks want to see that change in leadership here. Um, so there are goals among the protesters, but there are also, as you're saying, you know, there are a group of folks who are really focused on going out there at night and, um, you know, antagonizing the federal officers into an overly aggressive response. I think that's, that's a protest tactic that, that they're taking because they, I think the political calculus they're making is that eventually people see the level of violence that's being perpetrated widely upon crowds and indiscriminately and sort of will reject that eventually. Let me ask this as a final line of inquiry.
0: There is speculation not so much within Portland or the Northwest, but that these are tactics that are a preface to or a prelude, prelude to a federal takeover of cities in anticipation of the November election, and that there is really a specific um, specific malfeasance in 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 sort of deviously devising this mm-hmm. um, and trying to scale it up in major cities and then intimidate voters uh do you think that that is accurate and 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 that that is possible
1: um i mean it, it's possible i think anything's possible um i I think it 's hard to say i don 't know necessarily what the goals of the trump administration are i do think the federal officers here are looking for conflict, um, and whether that is simply as a distraction to uh, the president's sagging poll numbers, or the inability to deal with the coronavirus pandemic effectively, um, or whether, as you're saying, it's some larger goal to intimidate voter turnout in uh, liberal cities, that, that could also be. Um, What I will say is that we've seen such a strong response from political leaders here and from the community that I don't know if this is a winning tactic, regardless of the goal. I think um, there's been a pretty round rejection of uh, federal presence here, and folks do not want to see men dressed in camouflage walking the streets or grabbing people off the streets. It's, It's just not... In American value. It's not what most people support. And I think if the president decides to roll this out in larger cities like Chicago, for instance, which has been mentioned, um, you're going to see an even bigger backlash. And, uh, you know, Portland may be a test ground because, you know, we're kind of a small city and we we don't have a lot of major uh, political capital and then. Uh, political uh, influence over the nation's capital, but you, know, you have cities like Chicago, the mayor of Chicago is a very powerful political player. You know The mayor of these major cities are powerful political players, both in their home states and in Washington, DC. So I, I don't foresee this being as easy of a victory uh, if the goal is to influence the elections. Yeah, I mean, to have these images associated with America, it is the American carnage
0: yeah. Um, that Donald Trump um, represents. And um, I, I think that your assessment of it is correct, whether the backlash is enough to actually mean that by election day, federal officers are not hijacking and kidnapping people around election sites. I mean, that that is the worst fear of someone with Trump's authoritarian tendencies, that, not only would these people be coming out at eight o'clock at night, uh, nine o'clock at night to protect federal property, but they would be deployed in a constant presence. And that kind of martial law uh, would would be something that any society um, that is aspiring for democracy would, would fear. Um, just as a final question, Ryan, as someone who's lived in and around Portland for close to 10 years, um, is there anything like this you've, you've seen from, you know, um, events that you, or news that you've covered, or would you say that to the extent that, that there is a, a kind of domestic um, intervention, terrorism um insurrection that that this is the closest thing that you've ever seen to that
1: yeah i mean i've definitely covered a lot of stories here and seen a lot of stories here uh you know we had the Occupy movement when that took place we had uh the takeover of a federal wildlife refuge in eastern oregon by armed uh right-wing extremists uh, which i covered extensively um but yeah far and away this is this is the most uh Interesting story I've ever uh, been a part of for sure because it's just not something you'd expect. You know, it's one thing if armed extremists at the fringe of the political spectrum take over uh, a federal building out in the middle of nowhere in Oregon. It's another thing if the federal government comes in and tries to take over blocks of of a um, American city. You know, it's just unheard of in this country and. I think that is kind of the outrage that I'm seeing from people as I've talked to lots of folks as we've continued to report on this is they just say, this is not the America I know. Why is this happening? What is the goal of this? So I I, I think people are rejecting it, but it's definitely an astounding news event for sure.
0: Yeah, well, I wish you and your reporters, Ryan, uh, safety and, and resilience in covering this subject. Uh, Brian Haas, Oregon Public Broadcasting, a leader in the news industry and taking on a most critical story. Thank you for your time today.
1: Thanks for having me, Alexander.